Welcome back to the First Touch Podcast. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Nate, how are you doing, man? Hey, man. I am doing all right today. You know, it's crazy that we're almost at the end of summer. August is slowly wrapping up here. I feel like this has been the fastest month all year. I know I'm going to be going out of town back to my home state of Pennsylvania. I feel like I've been name dropping Pittsburgh like crazy the past couple of weeks. And I apologize to our listeners. Actually, I take that back. I don't apologize at all. It's a lovely (laughs) city if you ever find yourself there. Yeah, I'll be going back there at the beginning of September, my birthday is coming up, so I'm going to see some family, do some camping. I'm going to uh, actually get myself a COVID test here just to make sure that everything's good to go to visit my family because obviously, you know, want to do my part and not uh, spread this disease. But um, aside from that, I know we've been a little excited about some of the talking kit, as we've said here in this household and in this podcast, of some cool soccer kits that's come out. I know I've ordered one, you've ordered one as well. And I'm getting a little paranoid that I'm not going to be able to uh, pick it up before I head out on the road. Yeah, I mean, everyone's mail has just been delayed indefinitely, it feels like. I know you and a couple of buddies have gotten me some birthday gifts that showed up, what, like a week and a half ago? And my birthday was in July. Shout out to members of the FTFC, my friends uh, Haley and Joel. They run a company that makes some custom stuff, and because your stuff, Tyler, for your birthday got so lost in the mail, some of our friends here got you a, and I apologize that this didn't come through, but it was a Liverpool championship shirt, and it just will never come. I have no idea. We got it way back, like, before July, and um, my friends Haley and Joel came to the rescue, and they made you, at least I think it's kind of cool, it looks like a white claw beer koozie but instead of like white claw it has like liverpool football club i thought i was clever and i was like what player could we have mimic the flavors of white claw so of course it's mane mango you got my favorite player man i mean Mane's the guy so mane mango you know i'm not a big seltzer guy but i would try a mane mango are you kidding me you could put it around any drink you could put it around you're drinking something right now you could put put that oh, on shit everyone hold on a second <laughs> It doesn't fit. <laughs> Wait, no, it doesn't? Are you sure? It's, it doesn't fit. Oh, shit, it doesn't fit. <laughs> well, anyway, still huge shout-out. It's great quality, and if you just have tinier cans, like seltzer cans, it's a great companion for that. I think I need to start drinking more seltzer then, just to appreciate it. <laughs> Maybe. Well, speaking of the kits, I mean, you pulled the trigger on that Red Star one you talked about a couple weeks ago. I respected that. Yeah, so I'm now a huge supporter of uh, FC Red Star over in the French League, the third-tier French League team. And I got to say, it's it's got a big history around a club that I barely knew about. Literally, like, this this kit release is what got me to look into them a bit further because I really enjoyed how symbolic and thoughtful every part of that kit was and so I started looking into it further and you know I pulled the trigger on getting that jersey and they sent me a pretty cool email actually after I uh, got it yeah so they sent me this email that was like welcome to Red Star you're now a member of the green and white crew here are your 10 commandments and they listed 10 different things it was support the team you will sing at the top of your lungs our anthem which I do not know your favorite team's players, names you will shout. You will never, never, and this was in capital letters, boo our team. United in the stands, you will be against racism, fascism, and discrimination. 
Uh, you will love the club like in victory and in defeat, and the red stars will uplift you. It's pretty interesting. Again, I don't know much past this, but I just love how intensely passionate that they seem to be, and I'm really excited to get more into them. Unfortunately, it's not going to be that competitive level that I like because they are in the third league, so I'm still trying to find out what team I'm going to follow a little bit more within the actual um, French top league. But this is a fun club to follow. I'm just worried now since uh, you know I'm going to be going out of town that I'm not going to be able to get my package and we don't have like a special doorman or a special room. It's, it just might be sitting out on the streets until I come back. I'm convinced the listeners that know where we live are going to steal the shit now. Well, I'd rather it be in their hands than just some random persons. I was just basic. I bought the new Liverpool home kit. I had been kind of on and off about it when I saw the leaks. And then like it's one of those things, as soon as you see someone wear it, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then LeBron James wore it. And I shit you not. 10 minutes after I saw a picture of him wearing it, I actually purchased it. I was about to say, I'm sure having LeBron James model it definitely helped. It's just cool. Like One thing that I love about soccer is just the streetwear element to things. You guys have heard me talk about it before. And when you see one of the world's greatest athletes in basketball show tribute and respect to one of the other greatest teams in a different sport. And, you know, of course, he's really invested into Liverpool. We know he has ties. So it was cool seeing him walk into an NBA game with a Liverpool kit on. I also noticed there was a few other NBA players wearing some uh, other kits. I noticed um, Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat was wearing a PSG kit. And they've just been dominating my Indiana Pacers. And there was kind of a rivalry there early on the season. So I'm a little bummed about that. But I respected it, I guess. I respect your fandom. Just seeing professional athletes in the United States try and spread love of soccer. Like, that's what we're all about. So even if it's a guy I can't really root for, I'll support it. Absolutely. Uh, We got a great show coming up for all you guys today. Of course, we're going to start things off talking about some of the games that we watched this week. The two big highlights, we're going to talk about the Europa League final as well as the final for the Champions League. So some exciting stuff there. We now have set the Super Cup game that will be coming up in September. And we have a great guest coming up here later in the episode. We have a very exciting guest. We have San Diego Loyal's own Sal Zizzo. You may know Sal for his podcast, BSI. He is a born and raised San Diego native. We'll talk a little bit about the club, too. This is their inaugural season in the USL Championship Division. So we'll give you a little bit of a breakdown of them, and along with an interview with Sal. Really appreciate him coming on. And shout out to Kate Kelly, uh, San Diego Loyal's PR rep. Uh, she was so helpful, um, really nice, really appreciated her scheduling that interview with us. It was a pleasure having Sal on, and after his interview, definitely stick around. We have a pitch profile coming up of another North American great player, Alfonso Davies, so stay tuned. This person now has a spoiler alert. You probably already know this, but recently won the Champions League, so we wanted to be able to talk about somebody who was just north of the border, a Canadian national player playing for Bayern Munich. We have fun around the net coming on after that with some very, very unfortunate baby names, one in particular that just makes my blood boil, and we're going to talk about the best goal of the Premier League season. And of course, stay tuned for everyone's favorite segment, the Pub of the Week. Pub of the Week. Well, Nate, Europa League final. Uh, It was really nice having both the Europa League final and Champions League final in a weekend. You know, it was a nice way to wrap things up 
when we have this, what, one to two week hiatus before soccer kicks back off again, that Europa League final might have been more entertaining than the Champs League. That's an interesting take. I will say there's definitely more drama within the Europa League final than we found ourselves within the Champions League. So let's talk about the Europa League final first. We spoke about this matchup last week. It was Inter Milan from Italy's Serie A versus the Spanish team Sevilla. The outcome to this game is worth bringing up. Milan seemed like they were the surefire winner going into this game, right? It was a few former Manchester United players all throughout that roster. We know Lukaku, he's been keeping his streak alive scoring in Europa. A fun thing about this that I didn't really realize is that he started his scoring streak back within his time in Everton. Oh, I didn't know that. That goes back about five years at this point, whenever he was on that squad. Um, Things were looking great for Inter. Lukaku actually scored the first goal of the game at the five-minute mark. Fun thing to continue his streak, right? Um, But the craziness that we found out later, the fate of the game would be determined by Lukaku scoring an own goal against his own team. Yeah, that was absolutely brutal. Really unfortunate just because of how dominant he's been for Inter Milan, both in the Europa League and just in all competitions. He had something like 32, 33 goals all year, which is just an insane number. But, you know, I did find it interesting. You know, your old boy Christian Eriksen made history as well. Yeah, it's just a... I don't know, like, if this makes him have like a cursed player stigma to him. I'm sure, you know, football players are superstitious sometimes, and this might be one of those around him now because Erickson has become the first player ever to lose the Champions League final as well as the Europa League final in in the space of two seasons. That is absolutely heartbreaking and brutal. I feel, I really feel for the guy, you know, I don't really have much bad blood for him because he was such a fun player to watch on Tottenham and a really, really good player. He was struggling a little bit within that Inter Milan side. He would have some good games, some not-so-good games. At the end of the season, he was kind of getting his mojo back onto the pitch. But, you know, here he is. He made it to another final within the space of two seasons. And, you know, you just kind of feel for the guy on some level because he's he made this move to get to where he needed to be to win a trophy, only to come up short again. I do want to take a second to give a shout-out to Sevilla. I know the casual fan may not know much about these guys. But they are 6-for-6 in Europa Cup Finals. They have won the competition a record six times. No other team has won more than three, I believe. De Jong with two goals this game. Second was just an absolutely insane bicycle kick off a deflection in the box. You know, scoring on a bike kick in a final is always just legendary energy. Uh, I'll even respect Gareth Bale for doing so against Liverpool a few years back in the Champions League final. So for as many times as... Sevilla has actually won the Europa Cup. They've only won the Super Cup once. And surprisingly enough, that was back in 2006 against Barcelona in a 3-0 victory. That is pretty wild to me considering they're, again, 6-for-6 in the Europa League final. But, you know, again, it's not the biggest club, so when you're going against Champions League winners, you're inherently at a disadvantage, right? Because that's just that's quite the matchup you have ahead of yourselves, no matter how much success you've had in the Europa League. Absolutely. The thing that I think about, though, is it's it's still doable. There's been many of times that the Europa League winner has defeated the Champions League victor. Of course, it's more lean towards what you're saying because the Champions League's teams are more dominant. It's just a little interesting to think that a team that is as decorated within winning this league 
has not produced more than one victory within the Super Cup. You would think that they would have proven themselves a bit further past this point, at least that I would think, because you're trying so hard to win this league, and then you do, and then you qualify for the Champions League itself. And, you know, unfortunately, Sevilla hasn't gone very far within that, and they actually haven't gone very far within the Super Cup as well. And it's just a very interesting cycle that this team finds themselves in. They're so proud of the fact that they continue to win the Europa League. However, they kind of come up short in other places. You know, and unfortunately, I don't think they have much of a shot in this year's Super Cup, considering who they're going to be going up against as the Champions League winner. Which brings us to that Champions League final. Bayern Munich pretty handily won that match, beating PSG 1-0. Congrats to Bayern Munich. They actually completed the treble. With this Champions League victory, Bayern Munich has won the treble. This is a term that we hear often in football. And for those who don't know what a treble is, the treble is achieved when a club team wins three trophies in a single season. For Bayern, their treble is broken down into their Bundesliga championship, the Pokal, which is a German knockout football cup competition that 64 teams participate in. And then, of course, the last missing piece is this UEFA Champions League victory. The dominance on this team was truly spectacular, especially when you consider that the 1-0 victory against PSG was considered an off game for them. They won, They scored an average of almost four goals per match, uh, and they're actually the first team in European Cup history to win every single game en route to winning the competition. That's kind of where I do want to give some love to PSG for that fact that... Absolutely. We say on average the games that Bayern was scoring was about four goals, and when PSG holds them to a one nothing victory, that shows how skilled PSG actually is. So this was a great final. I know there wasn't a lot of action on the actual scorecard compared to a lot of Bayern Munich games previously re- leading up to this. PSG was able to hold them to only scoring once. It's, it's a bit of a win and in, in a loss in some way. But I think that goes to show that we had two of the best teams in the world this year on that center stage at the Champions League final, performing at such a high level. And that's a good quality soccer match in my books. I found it to be very entertaining. I do enjoy low-scoring games, as weird as that is to say. But I think it just goes to show like what the technical skill is within the back-and-forth back play. And we had a lot of good action with that. And we led into the half point of this game going 0-0 wondering which way the game was going to go, and ultimately it only came down to one goal. Yeah, I thought PSG came out real hot, and they had a lot of chances. Just all the credit in the world to Neuer in goal for Bayern. I will say this. I actually do think he's the best goalie in the world. The guy's just got some cojones at that position. He is just so risky as far as you know, running out far out onto the pitch. His timing and reactions are insane. He's just a brick wall there, and you know I've gained a lot of respect for him watching him in these Champions League. He's saved a lot of really difficult shots. It just seemed like that second half, though, that PSG just started getting sloppy. I do not think Neymar had a particularly good game, and I really thought the only person out there by the end that was still competing and playing at a, a solid level was Thiago Silva. Yeah, Thiago was notable on PSG. I think Di Mourinho was also very noticeable on PSG as well. I think he had a lot of good quality opportunities that he was trying to create for his team. But I do think we need to spend a little bit of time talking about this Bundesliga squad, right? As you mentioned earlier, first team in European Cup history to win every game and route to winning this championship. What do you think makes this team so successful? Like, wh- Why do you think that they got to where they are winning this treble this year? 
I just think that they actually had extremely elite talent on all three levels of the field. You know, the midfield, defense, forwards. You know, Lewandowski had an almost record-breaking Champions League. He did not score in the Champions League final, but had he had a hat trick, he would have been the highest scoring player ever in a Champions League. That midfield that includes Thiago Alcantara, who may end up going to Liverpool this season. I was really impressed watching him. I tried to keep closer of an eye on him once those rumors with Liverpool started coming around. I was very impressed with him. And then on that back line, I mean, you have such reliable players like uh, Alba and Botang, and then most notably Alfonso Davies at just 19 years old. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. The pace of that kid who can just outrun anyone and both be a defender that can defend the most elite players in Europe and also create attacking opportunities as a left back. I mean, I think a young guy like that was honestly the catalyst to make this team truly unstoppable this year. So for fans of this podcast, I think we need to just kind of take a collective pause since we are reviewing this team. Is this where we have to start giving the Bundesliga more credit? Fuck no. <laughs> no, like, I mean, I don't think so. The I think Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga are two separate things, and we talked about that in one of our early episodes on the Bundesliga's problem. Bayern Munich is is the European champions. They're one of the best teams in Europe. But outside of that, that's where the quality really starts to drop off, even though Dortmund and RB Leipzig had some good years. Just that talent level and accomplishments drop up so severely. We can give Bayern all the credit in the world. I'm fully willing to admit that's the best team in Europe right now. But I don't think there's enough other teams in the Bundesliga for it to be competitive. Yeah, I agree with you, and here's what I'm going to say on that. I'm a big guy, as I think a lot of us are when it comes to the culture of soccer and football. That's what draws us in. And something with the culture is the energy that it creates. And you'll see where I'm getting to in just a second. What I'm talking about is momentum, right? So you can feed off energy of moments and you can continue to propel yourself forward. So what I'm theorizing here is the fact that how... Bayern outplays the rest of its league within the Bundesliga. It knows what it's like to always have that expectation to win. They know what it's like to always be in those instances of coming out on top and also just having a week after week of win after win. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there have played sports at some time in their life. And when you're on that streak, like, yes, there is some internal pressure on yourself to continue that moving forward, but also like you get that accustomed way of living within that, that those victories and those wins and it feels good. And you know what it takes to continue that streak alive and PSG, not necessarily that team that we're going to talk about. They've had their ups and downs their past year. So with that, I think that there was the momentum of Bayern just dominating their league that can they can then translate that dominance and that energy and that momentum into these other sectors that they play so well in. And I think that's really what gave them another competitive edge that isn't just all of those great players that you mentioned. I think there's a little bit of that momentum side to it, too, that adds into it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do know one thing, though. I, I would rather not keep talking about the Bundesliga. I think we have to listen to it enough off the show with Bundesliga Borelli. But, you know, we know he'll be listening to this episode. Uh, Borelli, in all sincerity, man, fuck you, but also congratulations. (laughs) 
Uh, congratulations to Bayern Munich being the champions of Europe. I know there's a lot of uh, listeners out there of the uh, Chicago Bayern supporters over there at Cleo's. Shout out to all you guys. I'm celebrating for you tonight, and I'm happy for you that you get to have this treble this year as well as being called the champions of Europe. Shifting gears a bit, we're going to talk a little bit about the San Diego Loyal. And if you don't know what this club is, that's totally fine. Uh, This is actually their inaugural season, and coming on in a second, we're going to have San Diego Loyal defender Sal Zizzo. But before we get into that interview, we wanted to talk a little bit about the club and show them some love and help spread the word about this exciting new football team. Again, just another shout out to Kate Kelly uh, on the public relations side of the Loyal for being so helpful in scheduling and accommodating. About this club, the San Diego Loyal were established in June of 2019 and are playing in their inaugural season in the USL Championship Division. Yeah, again, thanks so much, Kate Kelly. The casual fan should be excited to keep an eye on this team, especially for our listeners over on the West Coast. The current head coach and executive vice president of soccer operations is none other than the legendary United States men's national team legend, Landon Donovan. Our guest, Sal Zizzo, is a San Diego native, and he came out of retirement to play for a professional team in his hometown, which is a great story. This is an amazing opportunity for him, so let's shift over to our conversation right now with Sal Zizzo here on the First Touch Football Club podcast. And joining us today, San Diego Loyal's Sal Zizzo. You can check out his podcast, BSI the Podcast, on Apple Podcasts and all streaming platforms as well. Sal, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate you having you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, happy to have you here. We know uh, you're currently out there playing, doing a podcast as well. What's it like playing during a pandemic? Like, I can imagine that's got to be a different environment for you. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I mean, it's almost, you know, starting to feel a little bit normal now. I feel like it might be strange now if we ever have fans uh, <laughs> again one day, but it's hard, you know, you, you have to really kind of just try and stay engaged and really kind of focus on the big picture, which is for us right now, it's it's making playoffs, you know, we're eight games in, we have eight games left, but the season's going by very fast, you know, with only eight games left, we kind of got to hunker down and, and really focus because the season will pass us up real quick. So yeah. um, it's different though. I mean, yeah, no fans, all the different protocols, uh, you know, some of the travel procedures and everything, definitely very different. What is the testing like? Like, how often are you tested, and how does that feel? Like, yeah, we're tested twice a week. Uh, at first, we were at first. I would say the first two weeks of doing it, it was like that annoying all the way up the nose that everyone dreads. Um, and then recently, so since we first started testing when we started playing, I would say the first two weeks we did the high one, and then now since then we've done the kind of mid swab test. So which it, which isn't bad at all. So yeah. it, it's been okay. That sounds yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, it is. Good to have those things in place. I'm just, is there anything that's like different now that you're like, yo, this would be fine if we kept this around? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like obviously not the swabbing. I don't think we just do that for. <laughs> yeah, time. not really the testing or anything like that. I mean, I'm pretty, I, I like it kind of how it was before. I mean, it is kind of cool. Um, you know, all the stoppages <laughs> when oh, we're playing yeah. in, when we're playing in uh, uh, the heat of the summer and in some of these different cities and, I think they've made it, I don't know if it's like that constantly, but they've made it, um, you know, every 30 minutes kind of do a water break. It's been nice to have, especially when we were in Phoenix last week in 108 degrees. Oh, uh, it was nice to have a little bit of a pause. 
So obviously like you had retired and made that announcement last year from the MLS. Obviously you decided to lace them up again, play for, you know, your hometown team, the San Diego Loyal. What went into that decision coming out of retirement? Yeah, it was honestly, it was a pretty easy decision. I, I, you know, I had literally probably a month before that kind of accepted that I was going to move on from, from being a player and, you know, started focusing on a kind of a different career path, you know, whatever that was long-term, I still didn't know, kind of wanted to get away from the game a little bit, but um, yeah, it was pretty early from that announcement, maybe even a few weeks where uh, Landon uh, messaged me and about a team, you know, for me in San Diego, it was USL and that he'd like me to be a part of it. And yeah, it was always something I wanted to do in San Diego was to be able to play professionally. I think mentally, you know, being checked out of, of everything else, I think this was probably the only situation I would have wanted to come back to. Yeah, I mean, I, I, want, I want to live in San Diego when I'm done playing. So it just it, it came about and it was like kind of perfect. It also has to feel good to be headhunted by Landon Donovan, I feel. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a legend and, you know, guys my age and, and even now today, you know, he was kind of the guy that everyone looked up to and, and wanted to be like and tried to, you know, model their careers after. Um, so it's pretty cool to, to be able to um, be coached by him and, and uh, get to know him on, on a – uh, player coach level and uh, also as like a friend level so it's pretty cool I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about what your dream is in all of this kind of like you said yourself you were kind of thinking about what your life could be post-soccer but you have a podcast that's very successful you played now in the MLS now in San Diego Loyal you kind of proven that you're a jack of all trades so what's your end goal I mean I'd love to to stay with this club you know, long-term, even, even after at some capacity, uh, working for this club, I don't know what exactly yet. I still want to try and play as long as possible, you know, for sure next year. And then hopefully, you know, beyond that. Yeah. As soon as it, as soon as I, I get a little too old and I can't really move and then I think it's time to call it quits, but no, but I'd love to, to work at the club, uh, whether it be in some stuff they form in the future, whether it be, you know, youth academies or, you know, front office stuff, uh, that would kind of be, the path I'd like to go down for sure. I'm 27 and I feel like my body is already like well past anything. I go for a run and I'm <laughs> that, just, that's, like, that's when it, that's when the turn starts happening. <laughs> oh, great. So it's just all downhill for me. Sure. <laughs> Except for you, man. Yeah, like, pretty you're, much you're, like, you're, you're in good yeah. shape. <laughs> yeah. I had to dig myself out of that dark hole last year. So where did like the idea from your, for your podcast even come from? Like, how was that born? Basically, uh, Benny and I had um, done a show in, in Kansas City called the Benny Filehiver Show, and it was something like pretty small, but, but the local fans, you know, took a huge liking to it. We always knew like, you know, we kind of had our fan base there. Um, and we had just talked about, you know, doing a podcast, uh, no, nothing serious. And then when I retired, I basically started taking it more serious and, and wanted to stay in soccer somewhat, you know, involved and, and in the loop. He was still playing. Um, Ike originally wasn't part of the plan. He kind of wanted to join later, and uh, obviously it was a great addition. But, yeah, it literally was kind of like, we should just do this. And then I had my brother, who who is the producer, he basically, like, researched and messaged how to kind of how to start a podcast. And, oh, that's cool. You know, we bought our mics, and it kind of yep. went from there. Like, And then he started producing it and kind of put it out there. And, yeah, it's, gr it's grown really well. Like, it, it's grown since day one, which is – pretty cool to see but yeah we just got to keep keep going along and it, that that's the hardest part i think is to kind of just keep keep through the grind and keep putting them out there 
I'm most surprised, uh, you know, Nate hasn't kicked my ass yet or anything like that. He's getting <laughs> sick of me. Uh, but I totally feel that, man. Like just trying to yeah. build something from nothing. Like we're very appreciative of guys like you coming on or having, especially during quarantine, going stir crazy and just being only having soccer to watch, just like having all these people, you know, to connect with uh, and just kind of spread the love of the game, yeah, cool. especially in the United States. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the longer, the longer you can do it, I, I think there's going to always be room for growth, right? Because in 2026, you know, the world cup, uh, you know, is going to be in, in the U S and Canada and Mexico. And um, yeah, fans could be peaking, you know, at that time and, and, and want a lot of soccer in their life. And uh, they'll turn to a lot of different media outlets and, you know, and hopefully you guys will be one of them along with many other. So, oh, let's all get credentialed for yeah. that. That sounds great. Let's all do it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hanging out the World Cup. I love that idea. <laughs> I mean, especially, I mean, seriously, think about it. If there's not going to be a lot of college sports in this fall, it's going to be just like if someone wants that outlet, it's just going to be all soccer. I mean, the NBA uh, playoffs are coming to an end. NHL is coming to an end here soon. So it's just going to be all soccer for anybody that wants to turn on, you know, sports in the uh, afternoons. Yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we're, we're able to do that. And yeah, as an American, it, it's pretty cool to see, uh, that we can still play and, and hopefully, you know, gain some fans from other sports that maybe never gave soccer a chance. So yeah, it'll be nice for sure. Uh, you know, back to your podcast, like we were talking about, like it's been cool on our show, getting guests. I'm sure you've really enjoyed having some guests, obviously like when we got to talk about, you know, going through, saw you guys obviously got to have Will Ferrell on the show. Yeah. Like how, how the heck did that come about? Yeah. So um, it happened because our, the host, Benny, uh, one of the hosts, Benny, he played at LAFC and, and knew him, very little, but um, he, he was able to, you know, find that connection to get to him. Um, and so, yeah, just kind of threw it out there like, hey, we'd love to have you on. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? And, and yeah, he was super cordial and uh, nice about it and um, loved it. I mean, it, it was really cool. But a funny thing about it, we, we were all pretty pumped to have him. And then the first day we were, we had, we planned to have him the day before and something was going on with like the internet and, and we couldn't hear him. And it was like one of those things. And, oh, no. you know, you had never met him yet, but you're seeing him yeah. on zoom and he's like trying to figure it out, but he can't, and there's no one there to help him at his house. Cause, cause of COVID. And so we were like, Oh, like, you know, and then we talked to his, his rep and they said, and he said, well, you know, he has to go anyways pretty soon, but you know, he's free tomorrow. So, that was nice that, that they yeah. were patient about it, but it was, it was like that first night we were like, oh, gosh, man. did we miss our chance? You know, but uh, no, he's super cool. Funny was pretty exciting to have him. Just like the number one ambassador for soccer being Will Ferrell in the United States still just yeah, blows my I'll mind. But like, I'll Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I just kind of wanted to ask you a little bit of uh, your playing time in Germany. Um, I know you played for Hanover uh, 96. You spent mm -hmm. like three years of your career there, right? Yeah. What was that experience like? I know they have some real passionate fans out there. I'm sure yeah. you got to have some stories that kind of come to mind. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, definitely a time of you know growth in my life. Um, I had been I had come from UCLA to to that, and it was a very professional atmosphere. Um, maybe one that at, at that age I wasn't really ready for, but I grew up quickly there for sure, being away from home. And yeah, it, it was a really cool atmosphere. I mean, it was 44,000, I think they, they get in that stadium. Uh, and they would pretty much sell out, you know, every game. And uh, it was Bundesliga at the time. I know they're in the second Bundesliga now. It was a really cool experience. I mean, it was, uh, I think the first year we finished, first year I was there, we might have finished like seventh. 
or, or, or something like that. I think we had missed a few spots out of, out of uh, uh, Europa League. So it was pretty cool. And then having Steve Trundolo there, which is another American and, and San Diego guy. Um, oh, that's awesome. Kind of really helped me along the way. But it was, it was hard. I mean, it was a hard time because, you know, coming in, you thought at the time, like I said, I was kind of riding this wave and I thought I was going to come in and just start starting and playing and, and all that. And it just, it was a huge reality check kind of right there. You're, you're number 25 out of 28 guys on the team and you have to fight every single day. And um, it was something that, that was uh, humbling. I can imagine, especially it can be a little intimidating being an American because we're, it's kind of out of our own comfort zone in terms of just like the sports world. You know, we've mentioned a little bit earlier about like how we hope that soccer is going to be more popular come the world cup, but you know, anything can happen. And I I can imagine that like, once you're the new kid on the block there, they probably don't expect like much out of you because who's to say like you, but you, with that, you could just prove yourself in other ways, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, I think nowadays the the mold is changing a little bit. I mean, you see guys, young kids going to Germany now and, and having a lot of success. And I think, um, you know, it somewhat started um, during my generation and even before me with Steve and stuff. But right now it's, it's I feel this, you know, wave of players hopefully coming through and, and being difference makers on some of these top clubs. And um, ultimately, I hope that'll you know, help further along soccer and, and, and bring success to our national team and kind of trickle down from there. But I, I've noticed a lot of young players going there and, and being, you know, prominent figures there, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, Pulisic, Reyna, Tyler Adams, like we got all these yeah. guys. And uh, young, talented guys yeah. like that. So, And they're starting to step up in big moments too. Like we're starting to see these moments where it's like, especially like as fans like us, like it's like, that, that's our guys. Like those are Americans. Yeah. Those big plays. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to get like look ahead too far, but like I'm starting to get hope for a World Cup qualification. Yeah, I mean, you you see these players playing in the top leagues, and you know before it was, you know, I, I had got called into my first national team cap without even having played a game with Hanover's first team. You know, I just got called in because I was on a team in, in Europe, and that was almost enough. You know, not ultimately, but it was enough to somewhat get a get a look. But now it's like you know, guys are playing on top teams and um, now they're getting looks, which is, I think, what it needs to be. And um, hopefully, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is exciting to see that, right? I mean, it gives you a lot of hope that uh, if we can just get certain things kind of narrowed down that we're starting to have the talent that maybe could, could make a dent in the World Cup. Well, I think speaking of like getting excited about the United States, like I think obviously one of my favorite like in-country moments in soccer was – you know, Atlanta United, one of those new teams, winning the MLS Cup, and you were actually on that team in 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously it was just the second season for the club, but you know, I, I was blown away by the fan support. I really thought it was incredible at a time. Yeah. Where, you know, we weren't uh, you know, we weren't seeing a lot of games or highlights on national coverage. Like, what do you think about Atlanta specifically that made it such a big soccer city? It's it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of the so so. I was at Portland, which is more of like an intimate like cult culture over there with with the Timbers and which is which is a really cool atmosphere. And then you go to a place like Atlanta, and it's just like you know overload of these fans and in, in this like crazy new stadium and um, amazing tifos and and sold out crowds and and people and wearing the gear everywhere outside you walk and um it was like a bigger deal than than the falcons or the braves like by a mile honestly well those fans Um, are fan bases are a little miserable sometimes yeah i I know (laughs) the falcons it was it was bigger it was bigger ticket than the falcons i had gone to a monday night football game for the 
Falcons and it wasn't as packed as, as our games at all. Oh my and gosh. the atmosphere, you didn't feel the energy that you would feel at Atlanta United games. Yeah, and then Braves, like it was a totally different location, but it was it was definitely a bigger deal than those games. So no, it was it was really, really cool to, you know, see that and and to be able to experience that for one year. And and honestly we had a really good team that year. I mean I I think I played only like seven games because I got injured um, in July. I, I tore my meniscus, which led to me repairing it. And I was pretty much out for the rest of the year. I think I'd come back like in the semis of MLS Cup, um, the MLS Cup run, but uh, wasn't near fit enough to an appearance or anything. But it was really, it was a really cool run to see. And um, I think everyone kind of knew you know, it was going to be a special year. Tata had just uh, announced right before playoffs that he was, you know, going to move on from the club after the end of the season. So it was kind of like everyone knew this was kind of our last, you know, hurrah with him. And he was uh, uh, an amazing coach. I never seen another coach that could see the game like he did um, or like he does. Um, So yeah, it was a really cool experience. And then to be on the field after the, after winning and bringing my family and my kids and, you know, what I thought, uh, you know, a few months after that was my last, uh, you know, professional season. It was, it was really cool. There's one question that we ask all to all of our guests and it's in relation to celebrations and enjoyment of soccer. And also want to be able to get the opportunity to give some love to local businesses. Obviously we know you're a busy player, you're a father of three, you have your own podcast, but when it comes to watching games, be it like where you are now or maybe when you're on the road is there any soccer pub that you love visiting and just want to give some love to um honestly i haven't been to a soccer uh pub in san diego (laughs) since i've been back um and honestly i i don't i haven't been able to go to some but there is one that i'd like to give a shout out to i'm looking it up right now because I had been talking to this guy for a little bit, but uh, basically I had been making um, calls to season ticket holders for the San Diego Loyal. And one of the guys that answered, I, I had a nice conversation with him and, and he um, said he owned a sports bar in um, North Park and that their big uh, Premier League, there you go. I think it's a Bluefoot. Yeah, Bluefoot bar um, in North Park. They have a lot of crazy games. So uh, that's one I need to make it out to for sure because uh, the owner was a super nice guy and he uh, gave me an invite. But as you guys maybe know or don't know, I don't know if you guys have kids, but with three three crazy girls, <laughs> I I can't find time to to make it over to a pub. If I'm watching any games, it's it's thrown on my stream on on TV at home at like four in the morning if it's Premier League or yeah, whatever exactly. time it's out yeah. there. Yeah, go to bed, guys. I gotta watch this replay or something. <laughs> Well, man, we really appreciate you coming on, Sal. Uh, it's great talking to you, man. Uh, yeah. And for anyone out on the West Coast, make sure you're checking out the San Diego Loyal. Really cool seeing a team out there. It's just a beautiful city. So yeah. uh, make sure to check out BSI, the podcast as well. Uh, these guys are doing great stuff over there. Uh, Sal, thanks again, man. Really appreciate yeah. you coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Big thanks again for Sal for coming on. Uh, awesome to hear from a guy that's getting to play for a new professional team in his hometown. I've really enjoyed that story about getting Will Farrell on. Uh, maybe one day we can get the legend himself on the show in the future. But you know, moving on to 
you know, this new segment we've been doing for the past few weeks. I'm a big fan of this, the pitch profile, giving a breakdown on a player that we want to know a little, a little more about on and off the pitch. Uh, this week, it is none other than Bayern Munich's Alfonso Davies. We really wanted to highlight another North American player this week, especially since Davies is developing into one of the best left backs in the world and is now a European champion with Bayern Munich. But his story is so much more than just a young player rising into stardom. Davies was born in a refugee camp in Ghana during the Second Liberian Civil War. His parents, who were both Liberian, fled Monrovia during the war, which displaced almost half a million people in the country. So his family eventually moved to Canada with his parents and five siblings, a big family to move that eventually settled in Edmonton. Despite a language barrier early on, Davies quickly got involved playing soccer thanks to Free Footy, a soccer league for inner city kids who who couldn't afford equipment or the transportation. Then at the age of 14, Davies joined the Vancouver Whitecaps Development Academy. Just a year later, Davies became the youngest player in USL history to sign a contract, joining the Whitecaps on the second team at just the age of 15 years old and three months. Only a few months later, he became the youngest goal scorer in USL history, scoring against the LA Galaxy 2. In a matter of weeks after that goal, Davies went from scoring in the USL to signing a first-team contract and making his MLS debut. He was the second-youngest player ever to compete in the MLS at 15 years old, behind only the one and only Freddie Adu. Thanks to his incredible pace and soccer IQ at such a young age, Davies actually quickly began attracting the interest of European teams, with big clubs like Liverpool and Manchester United scouting the young player. In three seasons with the Whitecaps, as a defender, Davies made 81 appearances, scoring 12 goals to go along with 14 assists. Davies' talents couldn't be contained within the MLS for long. In 2018, Bayern Munich and the Whitecaps agreed to an MLS record-breaking transfer. Since joining Bayern Munich, Davies has quickly become an integral part of the club, solidifying his role as the team's full-time starter at left-back. He has scored four times and assisted on nine goals in 49 appearances across all of his competitions. He has also been a part of some of the most dominant Bayern teams in recent memory, with two Bundesliga titles, two German Cup finals, and now a Champions League already under his belt. Now Davies is still only 19 years old and a star defender on the European Champions. His market value of $66 million is the third highest of any left back in the world, according to the transfer market, behind only his teammate David Alaba and Liverpool's Andy Robertson. His pace, explosiveness, and creativity make him a serious matchup nightmare for even the world's most elite players, and he's only getting better. I think what I enjoy most about Davies' story is that in 2017, uh, he officially became a Canadian citizen. He passed his citizenship test, and he has been playing on the national team since 2016. It's really just awesome to see a player like this getting to represent the Canadians. One of the things that I found to be really interesting as well is due to a clause within his transfer, the Vancouver Whitecaps got a $1 million bonus for Davies after Bayern won the Champions League. Another fun fact as well, his girlfriend, Jordan Huyema, plays for PSG's women's team. It's also a true Canadian soccer power couple. Uh, Davies did get into some hot water once from Bayern Munich's former manager, Nico Kovac. 
uh, over an incident related to his girlfriend, actually. Uh, Davies was in Paris visiting Jordan and was four hours late to practice due to some issues. He ran into getting uh, his way back from the Munich airport. So Kovac ended giving Davies a 20k euro fine for being late to practice. Is this where I insert the joke to uh, talk about an expensive date? I think we've all, you know, been late to work or, you know, been late to something because of a significant other, but I've never been fined 20,000 for it. Also, Afonso and Jordan could be the first couple to win both the men and women's Champions League in the same season. As the PSG women's team is set to face Lyon's women's team in the semifinals. So that would be a cool experience if both of them could celebrate a championship together. Even though that uh, Davies had to beat the men's team uh, equivalent that she plays for to win his championship. This is a really interesting story. Just another example of a, a guy that you know I've only heard good things about. He seems to bring a lot of energy. I think what I've been impressed with most is he's developed so quickly at such a young age. I mean, you don't see guys go from the MLS to starting on a Champions League winner, like, ever. And the fact that he's doing that at 19 years old, like, this is just really cool to see. And, you know, he may not be an American, but I'm really excited to see, you know, what he can do for uh, Canada and see if he can, you know, start making them a more relevant team in the CONCACAF. And that was this week's pitch profile. Again, shout out to all the FTFC members out there looking to learn a little bit more about some of the greats to touch the beautiful game here of football. Again, reach out to us on our social media sites to suggest your submission for our pitch profile. While you're there, make sure to give us a rating, give us five stars if you love us, and uh, you know, share your experience here with the FTFC. Moving on to Around the Net this week, Tyler, I got an interesting story uh, that I found here through the Premier League's Instagram account. It was a very, very unfortunate baby name. Uh, Did you see this one that I sent your way? Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't have a problem with it, but I get why you do, but I, I still am a big fan of this. It's just one of those examples of, I think it might borderline on a little creepy, but fans engaging with athletes. Okay. We're we're definitely going to have to talk about this one then because I feel some type of way about it. So there was a Arsenal super fan that recently had a newborn baby girl, and he decided to name his baby after the Arsenal star Ozil. His child's name is Mara Ozil Robinson. So actually, a few months prior to this, he this fan had actually tweeted at Ozil saying basically jokingly hey if you respond to this tweet i'll name my kid after you and then Uzil responded like oh yeah ha 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 you should totally do that and then a few months later he gets this tweet from the guy like here's mara Uzil robinson and Uzil was just like oh shit you actually did that yeah i think my silver lining here is just the way that Ozil responded to it because i it seems like he was pretty in shock as well like oh wow like that's her name i i think that there has to be some kind of humbling effect that you feel like that you know people are willing to name i know um harry kane on tottenham is a big nfl fan and has his dogs named after like tom brady for example but that's different in my opinion because that's a dog i mean not to say that you can't love a dog but i do think that there's a bit of a difference of responsibility between having a cute little dog i mean you could you could name an animal after fruit loops if you wanted to but i don't think that you should name your daughter necessarily that you know 
Yeah, I, I don't mind it as a middle name. I mean, I don't think anyone has a middle name that they're psyched about. I mean, actually, Nate, I don't know yours, but mine is fucking Denison. That's fair. That's where I guess we can say that maybe people just in general are embarrassed by their middle names. You know, I, I maybe she'll come to her senses in later parts of her life and just realize that the things that her parents are teaching her about Arsenal Football Club just aren't so just and true. And then maybe she'll convert over to the Tottenham side of things. So yeah, maybe there's hope. She's gonna she's gonna be a rebellious teenager and be like, I'm a Tottenham fan, mom and dad. And then they're even... and then just legally changes her middle name to like something like. Um, like Eric Dyer, I don't know. Well, speaking of Tottenham, I know you're psyched about our other subject with Around the Net because your boy, Hungmin Son, was actually selected as the Premier League goal of the season. It's uh, his goal against Burnley. It, one of the best goals that I've ever seen in my life. So basically the play starts with Son coming out of the defensive side, just out of the penalty box, and he essentially dribbles through about... I will say seven different players to then end with a goal that goes basically coast to coast. You don't see many people make a run like that that are successful ever, especially near around the, I want to say like 40 yard line, whereas there's literally about four to five Burnley players surrounding him. And then he somehow makes it through just because of the pace on this player is like nothing that I see on a, a lot of other people. One of the fastest guys on the pitch at all times. It just completely outbeats all of those Burnley players and then lands the goal from his right foot that ends up on the right side of the back of the yeah, net. Yeah, like I know some people were, you know, annoyed with this selection and I really don't get that. Like I get it wasn't the most ridiculous snipe into the top corner or something, but I don't think people understand how difficult it is to keep that pace for that long, go through that much traffic, and just have the like stamina to stay upright that whole time and finish it. Like the entire sequence is just really incredible, and I don't think the haters really understand how difficult that is. And that's the point: is that it's just not really understanding. It's, it's called the wonder goal because it really is that difficult. The reason why soccer is called the beautiful game is because the moments that you just create that are so insanely difficult, the the, the way that I, I say it all the time to someone that doesn't watch soccer regularly, the easier that it looks is the more difficult that it is. And I think that is so true with Sun's goal here because he beat the entire Burnley team. In that run, there is not a person that he did not beat because all the forwards are already behind him and then he takes on the entire midfield, defeats the entire defensive wall, and then he scores on the goalie. And this is one versus the entire team in a way that you just don't see happen very often. Well, I know that we'll be talking about some fantasy Premier League soon and you might see Sun on my starting lineup to start the season. Yeah, tune in very shortly. We're going to have an extra episode about fantasy Premier League We'll have a couple fantasy Premier League players on, and we'll teach Nate a little bit about it. And also excited to announce we are officially going to launch a fantasy Premier League league uh, for the First Touch listeners. Uh, it is 100% free. We are not going to ask for a dime to do this. Uh, we will give the winner at the end of the season uh, some free swag uh, to be determined. So feel free to join along with us. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. 
Absolutely, guys. Please join in on the FTFC FPL League. It's going to be so much fun. I've never done it before. So, you know, if you're intimidated by fantasy sports or never really understood how they are, don't worry. We're going to be in this journey together, you and I, as well as we got some seasoned veterans joining us along the way, too. So definitely want you to be a part of uh, this fantasy experience here with us. Moving on to the pub of the week. Pub of the week, yeah, pub of the week, baby. I'm pretty sure that's not the same song you came up with last time, man. You know, jingles, dad jokes, that's why you come to the First Touch podcast. Um, But again, thank you, Sal, for the pub of the week nomination. Again, it is the Bluefoot Bar and Lounge, located at 3404 30th Street in San Diego, California. I know they are currently closed to the pandemic, but they will be opening soon. They proudly open early for the NFL and soccer matches. They have a great late happy hour from 7.30. They have free pool on Mondays, trivia nights, and even DJs. Seems like a real fun environment if you're out there in San Diego. Uh, Thank you again to Sal for both coming on the show this week and giving a shout out to a local business. Absolutely. Seems like a great time out there. Again, if you're in San Diego, located at 3404 West 30th Street, make sure to tell them if you find yourself in there that the FTFC sent you. While you're at it, again, make sure you check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. And as when you're listening to the episode, just make sure you hop over to the review section. All the love that you give us really makes a huge impact. So Love to see all of those five stars that you guys give us out there. It means the world to us to see that you guys are engaging and listening to us. We know that we are building this community of just football fans here in the United States week after week. So thank you guys again so much for tuning in and listening. It really means so much to us. And with that, uh, we'll end things here as we end it every single week with saying that there is no room for racism.